I'm Craig. Um, happy to be here. Glad to be here with you. One of the joy, we've been talking about joy this morning. A thing that gives me a tremendous amount of joy, something I love, is leaving that which no longer serves me. A phrase I apparently introduced to some of you is, what brought you to the party ain't always what keeps you at the party. There may be activities and energy we're, we're pouring into something and it just isn't working. And sometimes a beautiful thing we can do is just be like, this isn't working, I'm going to walk away from that. Turn to someone who's older than you and ask them, can you control your circumstances? Don't do that. Like, I have to catch you fast because the first service, people just started turning to people and I was like, ah, I'm going to break up families here. But if you find someone who's older than you and you know that it's not, you knowing that they're older than you is not going to offend them, ask them, when did you learn you can't control your circumstances? See, we cognitively know that. We know, okay, I can't control what's happening around me. There's always going to be things happening around me. But we still invest a lot of energy and effort into trying to control. And when we do that, ooh, it's just a fool's errand. This Christmas, we're saying we have one job together, collectively. There's an invitation for you to do one thing. In the midst of cookie making and Christmas wrapping and driving seven hours because there's no airport near aunt and uncle... In the midst of all that, we have one job, and it's to create spiritual hygge for the people in our lives. Hygge. It's what the Scandinavians, they were onto something. They live in a part of the world where nobody should live. It's freezing. Winter's really long. Sure, they get the aurora borealis, but it's not worth the trade-off. So their circumstances are rough. It's cold. And they have learned and discovered ways to experience coziness. Regardless of what's happening outside, we can stoke the fire. We can sit by the hearth. We can put on thick, woolly socks and put a hot beverage in a beautiful mug. You can put on the Charlie Brown Christmas soundtrack. And then you can take a picture of all that and put it on Instagram because it's somebody else's turn to be jealous. We can experience coziness no matter what's happening around us. This Christmas, our one job is to create spiritual hygge. Regardless of our circumstances, we're not going to try to control them anymore. We recognize, I can't. It's a fool's errand. Regardless of what's happening around us, we can demonstrate tangible expressions of peace for the people around us. We can demystify peace. We, anybody can be a person of peace. Anybody. You don't have to just have like a Phil Jackson demeanor, just to be this Zen person. Like, ah, uh, yeah, who cares? The car broke down. It's Christmas. No, no, no. That's not what we're talking about. Anybody. Anybody can be a person of peace, regardless of what's going on around us. So we said we're going to give you five ways to do that this Christmas. All these five steps are working toward the same goal. How do we demonstrate peace? And in doing so, we're going to help people discover the rest of Christmas. How do we do that? Last week we talked about remembering. We're going to remember. We don't have to create peace at Christmas. That's what Jesus did. We looked ahead in the story to Romans 5, where Paul says, having been made right with God, we have peace with God. That's great news. You don't have to create peace. It's not your job. 
Jesus has already done that. You get to let Jesus be Jesus. We got to remember, remind ourselves, oh, I'm not at war here. God has created peace. Remember, there's a nasty counterfeit. There's a very dastardly, like, substitute for remembering. It's so dastardly, it makes us wonder if remembering even works, and that's nostalgia. We get nostalgic. Oh, man. And again, that, that's just what Christmas is. Christmas is like nostalgia on steroids, and that's fine. But nostalgia always disappoints. Sooner or later, it's January, and you still got Christmas lights up, and they don't feel the same. I hope not. Nostalgia disappoints, so then we look at remembering, like, well, that's going to disappoint. Remember, I have peace. No, no, no. We're going to fight to do that. This week, we're talking about way number two. How do we be people who demonstrate peace to the people around us? And it's, I'm just going to say it, and I'll let you feel how it feels. It sounds very different than last week. The, way, the second way that we can, rem- we can demonstrate peace tangibly to the people around us, way number two, walk away. How can we be people who demonstrate peace to those around us? Sometimes we do that by walking away. Now, for all the conflict avoiders in the room, we're like, yes! That's God's work! Oh, yeah! Merry Christmas! That's the nasty counterfeit this week. Walking away and conflict avoidance. We have to recognize conflict avoidance is a counterfeit to walking away. We're talking about something different. We're talking about walking away. When we talk about walking away, here's what I mean by walking away. When something happens that threatens peace, When someone is trying to, either actively or through their own immaturity, undo the work that God is doing, we do not participate. Let me say that again. Walking away means not participating. When people around us are working to undo the good work God is doing. This morning, we are looking at a passage where... God is bringing his plan from eternity past into fruition. God's plan is breaking into our world. Ephesians 1 says that through Jesus, God will unite all things under his lordship. And we're starting to see that the very first Christmas. Magi from the east... Which, if you know anything about John Steinbeck, East is not good in the Old Testament. When Adam and Eve got kicked out of the garden, where did they go? East of Eden. East of Eden, all right? East presents like chaos. All the armies that are threatening us come out of the East. Now, at the very first Christmas story, something's coming out of the East. Magi. And they're coming to worship Jesus. Now, to keep in the tradition of you thinking I poo-poo on Christmas, there's a popular Christmas hymn. We three kings of Orient are. This is a fine song, but it's nonsense. I don't mind if you sing it, you like it. I'm not saying anything about you. That's great. Okay, but there's a couple things we just got to point out about the song. We have no idea how many of these people were. 
People say three because they had three gifts. That's not a big deal. I can live with that. The second one, though, is they're not kings. I don't know where that started, but they're not kings. The word magi sounds an awful lot like a word we have, magic. Because that's who these people were. They were astrologists from Babylon. All right. I want you to think about your life. Do you have someone who takes the horoscope seriously? Someone's like, oh, you're totally doing that because you're a Libra. You're like, I didn't know that. Wow. Not taking advice from you. <laughs> That's who shows up as a hero at Christmas. God is just full of surprises. Why? Because all the nations, in the end, all the nations will come and worship. Every tongue, tribe, and nation. And we start to see that this first Christmas. God's doing a new thing. A new, good, beautiful thing. And then there are two characters. One actively is working to undo this. Trying to threaten the peace. A guy named Herod. He's more concerned about his throne than he is his own soul. And now there's one who's been born king. He's like, I thought I was king. Kind of like being king. Let's stop this. He's actively working against what God is doing. Then there's another set of characters. Matthew pays special attention to these characters. They're called scribes. Matthew himself is a scribe. And the scribes, I don't think, were like Herod. I don't think they're trying to join him. But I do think through their own immaturity, they're not knowing. They also work to undo what God was doing at Christmas. Whew. The stakes feel really high when it comes time to talking about walking away. There's two ways we can walk away. There's, we can, we, we, there's two ways, things we need to walk away from. People who are actively trying to undo what God has done and people who passively are undoing what God has done. Oh, and here's this, let me just complicate it a little bit more for you. We all actively try to undo what God is doing and we all, through our own immaturity, passively undo what God is doing. Work against God. Ah! How do we not participate in that? Through walking away. Again, this is very different from conflict avoidance. I am not saying when, when peace is threatened, stare at your shoes. I'm not, not saying that. But here's the thing. In my experience with people who avoid conflict, I think they might be tempted to feel, man, I'm, I'm really good at walking away. That has not been my experience. The psychologist uh, Gabor Mate tells a story where he was on a, a, a speaking tour where he had just written a lot about the word no. To quote the theologian Jane Fonda, no is a complete sentence. I love that. No is a complete sentence. So Gabor Mate gives a talk about no. After that talk, after this book tour, lots of people come up to him. They're like, oh, Dr. Mate, I was so helped by you teaching me how to say no. My life has completely changed. He says, thank you very much. You know, if you really want to show your appreciation, you know what you can do? They're like, what? Give me $100. And they're like, uh... I don't, have any, uh, I don't have any cash on me. It's okay. If you go right out of those doors and head outside, there's an ATM right out there. I'll wait. 
you know, like, I, I've got to pick up my kids. I don't know if I have time to stop at the ATM. Thanks. He goes, wait, wait, wait. I don't really want you to do that. That's ridiculous. I'm just trying to illustrate that now the real work starts. It's so very hard to say no and to walk away. When disciples of Jesus encounter activity that works against what God is doing, how do we not participate? We're going to follow the Magi this morning. How did they do that? How did they walk away? There's three ways we're going to explore this morning. How do we be people who walk away? Please turn with me in your Bible to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. How do we be people who walk away? Matthew chapter 2. And just like Sonia and Cindy encouraged us, I want to follow their example once again. I want to just give space to prepare our hearts to hear God's word. So if you would, let's just take a deep breath, ask that God would remove distractions, that we'd be able to hear his word clearly, that he'd bless the reading of his word. So if you would, we're just going to take a deep breath before we read scripture. So... If you would, please stand with me as we read God's word. God, may you bless the reading of your word. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Then King Herod heard, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. Look, they know. They know. They love the scripture. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied. For this is what the prophet has written, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go! Search carefully for the child. Oh, as soon as you find him, report it to me, so that I too might go and uh, worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star... They were overjoyed, or it literally says, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, As we seek to not be controlled by our circumstances, as we seek to follow you when peace feels challenged, I pray you'd give us a listening heart. God, I pray we would grow in our awareness of what you're doing, what you have done, and where you're leading. God, may we trust the consequences to you. I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. 
story of the Magi functions in many ways a lot like the wisdom literature of the Hebrew Bible. In the Hebrew Bible, if you think back to like books like Proverbs, in Proverbs chapter 1, there's different types of fools. There's one type of fool who in Proverbs chapter 1 entices the young son. He says, hey, come hang out with us. We're going to lie in wait for innocent blood. Like, who would join that person, right? Like, hey, come on, we're going to rob this old lady. Great, she can't fight back. Like, what? What the, the wisdom writers are trying to point us to is there are people who are actively working to do harm. There are people who do not care about boundaries, do not care about goodness. They're just working to do harm. Avoid those people. That's character number one. But then Proverbs 1 goes on and says, hey, 1 verses 7 to 9, this book is also given to make wise the simple. There are some of us who we just don't know what we don't know. We, we, we just don't know, oh, I have a lot to learn, and I'm operating out of the information I have. Whoops, it did damage. And those, are, those are the two ways that we can be working against what God is doing. One way is like, I do not like this. Not, I, I, God, we see things differently. I don't care. I'm going to be the Lord of my life. Here we go. But there's another way which is just through our own immaturity, we act without knowing and we do damage. The Magi encounter both of these characters when they come into Jerusalem. The first, the active character who's actively working against God, his name is Herod. Look with me again. It says, uh, verse 1, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, we don't know how long after, by the way. We don't know how long. But during the time of King Herod, it's very important, who is King Herod? Israel is under Roman occupation at this time, and a puppet king has been set up over Judah. Herod is not Jewish. He's an Edomite. That's very important for the details of the story. What does it mean? It means he is a ruler over a foreign people. And now, what's happened? Other foreign people have come and said, hey, one who has been born king of the Jews is here. And he's like, uh-oh, this is not good. I like being king. He was called Herod the Great. All right? And you don't get to be called Herod the Great, you know, by being soft. All right? You got to crack a few eggs to make omelets. We know this guy was tyrannical. The story goes on to tell us how tyrannical he was because he orders the execution of babies two years old and under. Evil. All he cares about is power. All he cares about is his throne, his rights. He is actively working against God. Doesn't even care. That's who the Magi encounter. There's another character they encounter, though. It's very fascinating, too. We have to look again. Look with me in verse 4. Here's the other character. He, that's Herod, had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law. Scribes, literally. Matthew pays special attention to the scribes because he's a scribe. Matthew is a scribe, and he wants to point out these characters. And these characters, as the Matthew's gospel unfolds, they grow more and more hostile to Jesus. But in the beginning, they don't know. Of course they would want their Messiah to come. So he's like, hey, Messiah has been born. This evil, tyrannical leader. Messiah has been born. And they, I think they're acting passively. They don't know. They're like, oh, he's going to be born in Jerusalem. We don't get any account 
from the information. That they're like, oh man, let's find these magi and let's go with them. We want to worship too. They're just, they just tell Hitler, oh yeah, that's where they are. Ah, what are you doing? I think a lot of us know the damage that act actively working against peace can do, but passivity also threatens peace. Our peace can be so threatened through passivity, and it's so much easier to excuse that. Think of race in America. Oh my gosh, how many pastors stared at their shoes? This is complicated, I don't know. Slavery, who can tell? They just stared at their shoes. And then hundreds of years went by. Lots of violence, lots of things happened because of passivity. Passivity can threaten peace. And we're like, well, I don't know what to do. And this is the challenge. This is the, the fork in the road that we're invited to stand at. Are we going to be people who when our peace feels threatened, we're not at the victim of our circumstances. So are we going to take the avoidance route? Or are we going to walk away? Here's the difference between avoidance and walking away. Just to clarify this further in your heart. Avoidance seeks control. I, I, I don't know how to talk about this. Mom's mad. It's Christmas. Mom's mad. Don't say anything to make her more mad. Just let her kind of be. Let her kind of explode all over the place. And we're not going to confront it. We're just going to kind of watch it. So we can control. We know that's going to happen. You know, at least we can control this. Walking away is actually about connection. Walking away says, I value relationship. I'm not going to connect with you like this. I, I put up there, seeks healthy connection. That's really redundant. Healthy connection. Like saying a, a fast race car. We're saying, hey, look, this way of connecting, I don't want to connect like that. I'm not going to, we get together at Christmas and then we make fun of the Joneses. Oh my goodness, what did the Joneses do this year? They're so dumb. We're so much better. It's like, yeah, ah, did you hear they did this? Well, their son did that. Ah! I don't want to connect like that anymore. See how walking away values connection? It's like, no, 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 I don't want to do that. Avoiding is a coping response. The world feels out of control. I don't know what to do. I got to get out of here. Walking away is an intentional response. This violates how I want to be right now. I'm going to invite you to be what I, like, in a way that I think is beautiful. So if you want to come over here, you're more than welcome. I'm going to be intentional with that. Now, as we talk about how to walk away, I just have to give you a statistic. Because it's, it's kind of depressing. But it, walking away is really difficult. Why? The social psychologist, William Icke, here's what he says. Strangers in the midst of a first conversation read each other accurately only about 20% of the time. Whoa! Okay, this is a statistic. Here's the thing about statistics. It's just an average. That means there's a lot of people who, when talking to someone for the first time, read, it, read them accurately 0% of the time. <laughs> this is, I, I heard this. This is in David Brooks' new book. And I was like, I, what are conversations I'm having? Like, how often? Am I in this 80%? Probably. Friends and family. Surely must be better, right? It is. Friends and family members only do get each other accurately. 35% of the time. Now, let's not be so arrogant to be like, I'm probably, 
I'm probably in that 35%, not the 65%, I'm probably in the 35%. Probably in the top one percentile, you know? I'm pretty good at conversation. <laughs> let's not do that. So let's assume what happens at Christmas when you've just driven eight hours to mom and dad's, you get out, and, and your brother comes out and is like, hey, hey, uh, dad has a problem with you. You're like, oh, really? Yeah, he, he doesn't want to talk about it, though. Okay? How do we walk away in a way that follows Jesus? Way number one, we must... If you're going to be people who walk away and create peace when you walk away, we must intentionally seek Jesus as we walk away. We must intentionally seek Jesus as we walk away. Listen to the Magi. How many times did they get a revelation from God? How many times did God say, here's what I'm doing. Go this way. Trust me. Not once. Not twice. But three times. God gives the Magi revelation. Look with me again if you don't believe me. Here's what we have going on. Uh, in verse 2. Uh, where is the one, there before Herod, who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and we have come to worship him. That word for worship, it's used outside of the New Testament in a pagan context to talk about people paying homage to a deified king. Creation told them God has entered the story and they followed the revelation that they had. That's one. Way number two. Uh, verse eight. He sent them out and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me that I may go worship him. So when they leave the king, they go on their way and the star that they had seen when it rose over went ahead of them until it stopped. So they followed again. And then verse 12. Having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country. Three times God reveals his plan to them. And three times the Magi follow him. So as we seek to create Hyuga, as we seek to help create peace, regardless of what's going on around us, we need to invite Jesus to speak into that process. And we must trust that he will. The Magi were just trusting the revelation that they had. They were like, hey, we're astrologers. The stars lined up, said, a king is born. We're here to worship. And God honors them trusting the revelation that they had. Sometimes we're like, well, God probably doesn't talk to me like he talks to like a pastor. Or he talks to a, my connection group leader. You know, it's probably super clear for them. They probably just like hear a voice like, your sister's being inappropriate. Walk away. <laughs> All right. I can do that. I don't know. I can't speak for every pastor. I, that's never happened to me. Never happened to me. Anytime we step out and we think we're following Jesus, it's an act of faith. But we have to do so trusting. And again, what are we walking away from? We're saying like, this does not participate in what God is doing. This violates my values. I don't want to do this. And again, it's tricky. We don't want to make vows, right? Anytime someone is, you know, they lose their temper, I'm out of here. You don't want to do that. That's not following Jesus. Vows don't help you follow Jesus. You don't need any faith to follow a vow. 
Something bad happened, never again. That's shutting down. But it does take faith in the moment to walk away. Right? Think about the Magi. Put yourself in their shoes for just a second. They're getting an awful lot of grace. They're magicians. Right? They are your friend who reads Seventeen magazine and is like, Libras totally do such and such. That's them. And they're being characters that we should emulate in the Christmas story. They're getting, you know, this is grace upon grace upon grace. They could have been like, you know, Herod needs some grace. God can reach us. God can reach them. Let's go back and talk to Herod. But they don't. They follow God's revelation. Where do they follow? Away from Herod. You don't have to swing at every pitch. You don't have to be like, oh, I got to create peace here. My pastor said I had to create spiritual yoga. My co-worker's upset. Here I go. We follow Jesus. And we trust the consequences to him. So way number one, we can walk away. Ask how Jesus is leading. Between the services, somebody came up to me. And it's someone I, I respect very much. And they said, oh man, I had to do that recently. They had just gotten around family members. And a, their, uh, this person, their spouse just died. And they were with their former sister-in-law. And the former sister-in-law said, well, if so-and-so had just eaten a plant-based diet, they wouldn't have died. You feel it? Like, holy cow. Whether that's active or passive, it's threatening peace, right? Not helpful. What happened? You need to excuse me. I'm out. Do you trust that God will honor your no? I see participation in something I don't want to participate in. I think it violates God's, the kingdom of God. I think it violates scripture. No. Do you really trust that God will care for you on the other side of that no? Are we following Jesus away? A, a helpful way we can do this. Way number one is ask how Jesus is leading. Way number two, we have to own our boundaries. Boundaries. Where I end and you begin. Uh, I don't know if your family is anything like this, but sometimes what has happened in my family uh, is I'll be at the punch bowl for Christmas and I'm like pouring myself some punch and then I have a big family and a sibling will come up to me and be like, hey, just want to let you know. Jasmine, she's really mad at you. Like, really? She just seemed pretty cool. No, 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 no. She's pretty mad at you. Like, oh my gosh. I wonder what I... In those minutes, it's a pause. Know your boundaries. What's happening there is called triangulation. When somebody comes to you and says, oh, all these people over here are upset with what you're doing, you can't do anything about that. You can't, what, what can you own in that? Oh, I'll, I'll panic with you. When people come to us and they're violating boundaries, knowing our boundaries means, hey, this is more about you than it is me. And I'm going to own what God is calling me to own in this, so, hey, I, here's all I can say. I would invite you, if Jasmine has a problem with me, Jasmine can come talk to me, and I would, I would love to hear her. I, and again, my, my sister, Jasmine is like my real sister. She does not have a problem with me. She's a cool sister. One of my favorites. <laughs> Said one. But we have to own our boundaries, because again, 
We may experience God's presence here. We may worship and feel his nearness here. When we go out into the world, you may not experience that. You cannot control that. But what can we control? How we respond. The Magi are consistently following in faith. They're saying, hey, we're going to follow this revelation. You can do the same thing. What are you being called to own and what are you not? And just own that and don't own other things. So the first way we can walk away, ask how Jesus is leading. The second way is be responsible for our boundaries. The third way is we trust the consequences to Jesus. Do we trust him with our no? Do we trust that he will, follow, he will be there with resources to meet us when we walk away? Look at what happened with the magic. Why were they, what were they motivated by? Why were they able to do this? When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. When the Bible's redundant, pay attention. All right, they weren't just happy. Like think about a happy person. Like, oh, they're happy. That's nice. They rejoiced exceedingly, but they didn't just rejoice exceedingly. Rejoicing exceedingly would be great. You're like, whoa, yeah, yeah, the Patriots are three and ten. Just blew their first round draft draft pick. This is great. Woo! No. Some of you are like, what are you talking about? They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. I don't even know what that looks like. They were thrilled. Why? Because as they're trusting God, he's providing, he's responding. They are the dark horse of Christmas. They are the big surprise. Right? They are the people that you pray for day after day. Like, God, save this person in my life. Save my coworker. They cuss at me for going to church. Save them. And then your coworker becomes your small group leader. That's what happened here. Sometimes, God surprises you. But if we seek control, if we're like, I'm just going to avoid conflict because I can control this, this is easy, you never get surprised. Sometimes, just the hope of the surprise is enough to just keep you walking away. I don't know what's going to happen, but let's find out. We're on our adventure. Let's see what God does. I may get this wrong. I don't know. No, thank you. I don't want to talk about the Joneses this year. We'll see what happens. But do you trust that he'll be with you on the other side? And not just there like, whew, whew. Can you believe you actually walked away? Holy cow. No, he's be on the other side with joy. With joy. Anticipating, seeing God show up when we walk away. My kids came home from the library with a kid's book about World War I. If you don't know, World War I was called the Great War. If you are in the business of naming wars, not a great name. There's not much that's great about World War I. One, it was a completely avoidable war. Completely avoidable. It was a misunderstanding. Two, all it did was, create, it was kill tens of millions of people, rearrange maps a little bit, and not solve any of the conflict that kicked it off, and then we just did it again a few years later. All right? Not a great war. Part of the reason World War I was so deadly was because of new technologies and these countries are so close together and they're fighting on fields. Sometimes they're only 30 paces away from each other. 
So there's a story that's told, I think it's on the French-Belgian border. It's called the Christmas Truth, Truce of 1914. Where uh, German soldiers had dug a foxhole, and 30 paces away, British soldiers had dug a foxhole. Nobody thought this war that started, I think around October, would last to Christmas. But here they are. It's Christmas. And on Christmas Eve, English soldiers are sitting in the trenches, and they start to hear singing. And it's German, but it sounds an awful lot like Silent Night. And so they peek their heads up out of the foxhole, which is terrifying. And they look out and they see Christmas trees all like nailed in the foxholes at the top. And they're like, where did they get those trees? How did they do that? This is weird. And then they see a German commander poke their head out who says, English soldiers, Merry Christmas. And the soldiers are confused. Before they can do anything, their lieutenant stands up, walks out into the no man's land, those 30 paces separating people who were a day ago trying to kill each other. They walk out and they shake hands. After that, a bunch of soldiers come out and they start exchanging jams and cold beans and then they eat the tins full of biscuits and then some of them take the empty tins and they start playing soccer with it. And for a day, in the midst of chaos and terror, there was a little bit of peace. Why does that story resonate? Why do we even care? Because they went back to shooting at each other like a day later. Why does that story resonate? Because we're watching people who are weak. They didn't decide to go to war. They are serving under the, the, just the, the will of the greedy men who rule the world. They're just at the mercy of people who are in charge. They have no power. They are, if anyone's at, at just being controlled by their circumstances, it's them. And they can say for a moment, I don't want to do this. There's a human over there. There's a person with a family, with dreams. I don't want to shoot them. Those stories really resonate. There's a, a book, a fictional account of World War I. It's called All is Quiet on the Western Front. It's becoming a movie. But the book tells this harrowing story of a German soldier. I think his name's like Paul. I don't know his last name. But his name's Paul. And he shoots a French soldier. Uh, uh, like just boom, shoots him. And he mortally wounds him. And he's sitting there with him. And he's comforting him as he's dying. You're like, that's so messed up. Why? Humanity. You cannot squelch your humanity. You can do what you want to work against God. You can be like, oh, I'm going to just destroy humanity. I'm going to destroy this creation project. But God, you cannot ultimately fully silence that. It leaks out God's goodness. And we see humanity. And it reminds us peace is how we were created to be. And when we, we find ourselves in situations that violate that, we can say, Hey, if these soldiers in World War I, well, if they weren't a victim of their circumstance, I don't have to be a victim of circumstances to my parents. I don't have to be a victim of circumstances to this office party. I have a choice. I can be a person of peace. I don't have to go with the flow. Now, that is way easy to say. And we get to live with ourselves when it doesn't go well. But do we trust, even when it doesn't go well, that there's joy on the other side? 
Do you trust that God will take care of the consequences of our stepping out in faith? It's just like Romans 5 last week. Those who hope in him will not be put to shame. Do you trust him with your walking away this Christmas? Jesus, as we seek to live in the kingdom of God, as we seek to partner with what you're doing, how you're doing something new, how you created, have you created peace? And we want to live in harmony with that peace. As we seek to do that and it feels threatened, help us not to be a victim of the circumstance. Help us to trust that you honor our walking away and that there can be joy on the other side. In Jesus' name, amen.